Hey everyone, it's David Chen, and this uh, episode is a bonus episode of Culturally Relevant where me and my wife, at Joy of Napping, on Twitter, discuss the ESPN docuseries The Last Dance. Uh, this is a documentary that has gotten a lot of discussion online, a lot of debate, and a lot of really memorable reactions and memes. Uh, I really enjoyed watching it, and I hope you enjoy this discussion of it. Uh, and you can tune in next week as well for a regular episode of Culturally Relevant. But in the meantime, I uh, wanted to get this bonus episode out there. So thanks for listening. Uh, and as always, uh, follow this podcast uh, on Twitter at CREVSHOW, C-R-E-V-S-H-O-W. And also uh, thanks to Simplecast at simplecast.com for powering this episode. Uh, check them out if you're interested in starting or maintaining your own podcast. All right. Here's my conversation with At Joy of Napping about The Last Dance. You guys not allowed. No, I'm just kidding. What time is it? Big My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. Jordan is the most talented player in the NBA by far. The show of the 90s, the team of the 90s. How you doing? Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. Hey everyone, it's David Chen. I'm here with At Joy of Napping, and today we're going to talk about ESPN's The Last Dance. This 10-part docuseries just finished airing. It's directed by Jason Hare, and it covers the 1997-1998 Bulls season, a legendary season uh, where the team was coached by Phil Jackson. It had Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman, uh, Scottie Pippen, and uh, it uses that season as a kind of lens to look back on uh, many of these uh, players' careers. So we're going to talk about this documentary, talk about what we thought of it, uh, and dive into some of the journalistic implications of The Last Dance. Overall, at Joy of Napping, what did you think of this docuseries? Um, I can't tell if it's because it aired during the pandemic, but it definitely was exactly the content that I needed right now. Mm -hmm. It is a joy to watch. It's, I mean, just, you could watch MJ highlight reel, you know, yeah. just for days. Um, but it also reminds you of a time when sports, it just felt so larger than life, that team. And right now we don't have sports to distract us. Yeah. And, you know, just because there's a Super Bowl or March Madness, you know, the storylines sometimes kind of come and go. Um, but this was really a legendary team for the ages. So it was a terrific walk down memory lane for me. And I was a huge Bulls fan in the 90s. So I, I, I can't tell if it's nostalgia for me, nostalgia because I'm stuck inside during the, you know, quasi quarantining, or because it's actually good. It's probably some mix of all those three. But <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I could have, when I realized that this was all about a single season, I was like, I have no idea how they're going to stretch this into 10 episodes. Right. And several episodes in, I'm like, I, I could do this for 20 episodes. I could do this for 30 episodes. I just am enjoying the ride so much. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really, really enjoyable, really slickly edited together. Um, what the documentary does is it starts at, at the season, but then like 
flashes back in time. There's a little timeline that like goes back and forth in time. So you kind of can orient yourself and it uses this, uh, what is portrayed to be like a really consequential season to kind of look back at like how the bulls got to this point. Right. So how much I lived through this, I remembered, I'd say 60 to 80% of it. How much of it did you actually know going in? Uh, very little. I mean, I, I had watched a bunch of like little sports documentaries about Jordan, uh, when I was young, this is like decades ago though, but I, I didn't, I think when I was watching those documentaries, he was still playing actively. So like, I didn't know exactly how it all wrapped up and I don't follow sports as closely as you. Um, so I, uh, I didn't really know what the details were and I purposefully stayed away from reading about it so I could kind of have a little suspense for myself. Um, so I actually didn't really know how it ended, even though a lot of people know because it's oh, obviously sports legend. Um, yeah. So this was all 20 plus years ago that it occurred. You, I think it's interesting to reflect on us as younger people encountering sports in America. I didn't grow up in a family that cared about sports that, you know, we're both from immigrant families. Um, I think you told me that you learned about Michael Jordan through because of the library. I would go to my local library and like borrow VHS cassette because our family was poor. And so I, we couldn't like rent videos when I was young. So I would go to the store and or the library, I should say, and like borrow the free like sports documentaries that they had. And they were like Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. And that's how I learned about like all these other people. As I was watching this, part of the reason I became interested in the Bulls is I was living in Chicago at the time. And you really get the feeling of what it meant to the city of Chicago to have this championship team. And Chicago already has a certain kind of blue collar toughness that it prides itself on, mm -hmm. but it really gave the city an incredible swagger to have its identity built around Michael Jordan. Now, it wasn't obvious that I would become interested in basketball, and it made me realize there was only one sport I loved prior to this, and it was figure skating. And very, very different sport, an individual sport, but... Watching these replays, I was struck by how incredibly graceful Michael Jordan is. Yeah. There are many great players. It's a really uh, you know heated debate about who's the greatest of all time. Is it somebody who maybe scored as much or who won more championships or et cetera? But in terms of just sheer beauty of the game, like yeah. for me, Michael Jordan can't be topped to this day. And so I wonder if part of it is... Controversial was, statement, by the way, but yeah. For me personally. Yeah. 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 Um, and I wonder if part of it is I was, you know, probably to just really love the the elegance that he brought to the game. It really is incredible. One of the joys of The Last Dance is watching these highlight reels of Jordan making these incredible shots, uh, pulling off these incredible plays. And uh, there is this balletic grace that he brings to it that is uh, just staggering to watch after all these years uh he is just really really amazing and you understand why he captured so many imaginations when you're watching this thing and and really brought the game to a much bigger audience because of how he played it yeah. i um went to a basketball oriented school in north carolina and i have watched a fair bit of basketball and i love the game but again like there's nobody who quite transcends it for me like Michael Jordan, who went to a different basketball-oriented school in North Carolina, but clearly, I'll allow him that. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, and one of the things that, uh, I mean, th th I would say overall, there are very few revelations that the documentary has. There's, As far as I can understand, there's very few things that the documentary reveals that like people didn't already know, right? There are, there are, there are, it captures net new interviews. Like there's a lot of like, it interviews over a hundred people, I think. Oh, wow. And they're put together in a really, uh, 
pretty slick way. Like there's kind of this narrative momentum of like reaching the, these final games for this last season, uh, this last dance season. Uh, and like the way that interviews are cut together is really like has this kind of narrative momentum to it. So I'm not saying it's like badly made in any way. Um, but as far as I understand, it's like rehashing a lot of things that people already knew. However, those things happened over two decades ago. And so I think for a lot of people who weren't familiar or weren't living it or weren't like really, you know, following it really closely, um, this is kind of a revelation to see a lot of these uh, facts presented in this way. But for someone who already knew a lot about it, like what was the joy of watching it for you given that you already knew most of these details? Because this is like we are watching a, a movie based on a book that you'd already read, right? You know, it's interesting at the time living in Chicago, there were two great sports sections at the Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune, and you could read them every day and they would just dissect this team every day. You know, the day after a playoff game, there would not only be the front of the sports section, but also like two or three pages inside the sports section of each of these newspapers in incredible detail about how the 12th best person on a 12 person team had done or how, you know, a practice had gone. And so they were under such a microscope. And yes, it's true. I knew a lot of this. Actually, the surprise to me is that the story that they got in real time was pretty close to the story that was told here, which is that the team wanted to stay together. There were money problems. Mm -hmm. And that the villain at the time was cast as Jerry Krause, yeah. the Bulls general manager. And I think, you know, it's a little unfortunate for the sake of the documentary that Jerry Krause passed away yeah. um, and isn't there to defend himself. Right. Uh, because he's basically cast as... A fairly one-dimensional villain in the documentary, I would say. Yeah, as yeah. a as a villain who had sort of a small man complex and couldn't get over it and eventually had a toxic relationship with his star. Yeah. So I think in many ways I was surprised at how closely it hewed to the narrative as I understood it at the time. And Jerry Krause was despised in Chicago. As far as I know, he is still despised in Chicago. And so you see footage where he's you know, introduced yeah. and fans in, in like are a in like a stadium. He's like introduced. Booing. Like, yeah, I mean, he, boo. you know, it, it, they just won a championship and they're bringing everybody out and they're introducing Jerry Krause and people, he, his name gets mentioned by Phil Jackson in a positive way. And then people are booing. And yeah. it's like, it's so harsh. Um, but I don't know if it's totally undeserved. Um, and certainly this, this documentary doesn't make the case that it was, uh, you know, that there are lots of good people on both sides. <laughs> so um, I think that what did surprise me, and, you know, maybe it's because I haven't closely followed the Bulls since, was that Michael Jordan really believed they could have had a seventh season. Yeah. And gone for, a, or not a seventh season, he had been there for far more than seven seasons, but they could have gone for a seventh championship, championship yeah. the following season with largely the same personnel. And, you know, it always felt like the media pressure around this, is it the end? Is it the end? Was going to make this team fly apart and people were like basically going crazy. Like Dennis Rodman was like losing it and Scottie Pippen was over it. Um, and even Michael Jordan seemed a little bit over it. But what I found surprising is I thought he left more on his own terms. And he basically said, it's maddening. It's maddening to have left at the, at the height of my game. Mm. And I felt, you know, I have um, probably my favorite athlete is Serena Williams, favorite current athlete. Mm -hmm. This is a person who has played through so much injury, come back from so much, including nearly losing her life when she was right after she was giving birth. Um, 
And she has struggled to be quite as dominant as she was, but she's still incredible and formidable on the court. People who are that obsessed with A, winning, and B, just hate losing, like they can't let go of it easily. So I don't think Serena Williams is going to go out on top. You know, I think Serena Williams is going to grind it, (laughs) grind herself into the ground, you know, like, you know, at some point you do have to call it, but I feel like part of what was so poignant about that was not really the question of whether they would have won a seventh or should have gone back for a seventh, but that when you have the mentality of a Michael Jordan, you just cannot let it go. Well, let's talk overall about the documentary real quick uh, and just say, like, I share your opinion that it was a hugely enjoyable experience to watch it, uh, particularly during this time when we have no sports and there's very little event viewing on TV right now. Um, so the fact that uh, over 6 million people tuned into this and everyone was talking about it, you know, it's great to be able to enjoy it with a, a lot of people talking about it online, reflecting on it and reacting to it. Um, I would say that the the number one thing this documentary adds uh, is this uh, inner, like, what seems to be many, many hours across multiple interviews with Michael Jordan. Like, he has at times been an an inscrutable figure, right? And this documentary attempts to try to get at like a little bit more the the man behind the myth, the man behind the legend. I don't know exactly how successful it is just because Michael Jordan is kind of an inscrutable person. You know, like it feels like the basketball and the desire for excellence really drives him. And then like, if you try to look underneath that, uh, I don't know that the documentary illustrated like, oh, there's so much more like underneath the surface that we didn't really know. But Michael Jordan is really great at storytelling and reflecting on his own past. And uh, it's really just a del- just like a delight and just inherently interesting to watch somebody who is one of the best people at the world at something, talk about it, you know, reflect on his craft and so on. I guess for me, um... When you are that famous, when you are interviewed that frequently, when you have had multiple people write books, not necessarily with your permission and go over every little, I mean, they probably like have gone and gotten his, uh, you know, library card and looked up every book he ever checked out and, you know, like that level of scrutiny over everything you've ever done. You become guarded. I mean, that would be the natural thing to do to protect your millions of dollars of endorsement and also your own sanity. And, you know... Maybe if he's 99% guarded throughout most of his career, he's only 85% guarded in this. But that difference is meaningful. Like, to me, it was interesting. And there is a moment in which he actually tears up. Yeah. And you feel like... He loses his composure. I think at the end of episode seven. Yes. And I felt like that was candid. And it was like a gift to me to get to know a little bit more about what made him so upset. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, do you want to talk about that moment? Uh, let's get to it in a little bit. But uh, yeah, in, in general, I think like you got lots of interviews with Jordan, and then there's like footage, like behind the scenes footage that was filmed of the Bulls practicing, playing, uh, that apparently has not been seen until this point, right? And I don't know exactly what that footage was doing for the last 20 years. Yeah, it's been sitting locked away. So like those are, are kind of the two big selling points of the documentary, as far as I can tell. It's like interviews with Jordan, plus like all this amazing behind the scenes footage where you get to see these people in a, a very relaxed, like non-public state. Um, so just off of that alone, and the fact that it's like really well-told story uh, is I- enough to recommend it. The documentary also does a couple of other things that I really appreciate. Number one is uh, 
this has been memed and commented upon, but at various points throughout the documentary, uh, the director or the person interviewing Michael Jordan shows Michael Jordan uh, footage from the documentary itself, right? Like they've interviewed someone else and they're like, hey, I want you to look at this and react to this. And apparently I listened to an interview of the director and the, the idea for this first caught on when he had showed Jordan like famous plays, right, that he had done. And Jordan would like go off on all these like stories about those famous plays. And he's like, what if we showed people talking about Michael Jordan to him. And that's how it, it uh, started. And that was just so fascinating because I, I don't think I've ever seen, or it's I, I probably have seen at some point, but it's very rare to see the documentary itself impact the documentary. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? not like breaking the third wall but it's, or the fourth wall, but yeah. it's something like that. Yeah. It was just so interesting that like, that the documentary is itself in some way driving the story of the documentary. Right? Well, so it's it's the equivalent of gathering a quote and then asking for somebody's response to that quote. Yeah. But it feels more visceral because, because he's, he's looking at the video, watching an iPad or looking at an iPad that has Isaiah Thomas or. But, but then you as the viewer are then also watching it with him. You know yes. what I mean? And so that's like really interesting. So I'd never seen that before. And I, I, I think like the way a lot of um, documentaries are shot, like. Uh, you may not be able to interview a person more than one time. And so like you may not have be able to like arrange it so that you can like cut together the interview and then show it to the person. But like um, they were clearly able to pull it off and I thought that was really interesting. And to be clear, there are a couple things. It's not like, oh, hey, here's somebody saying you were great. Yeah. You know, the Isaiah Thomas thing is a real, really clear sore spot even to this day yeah which is a a moment where there was no handshake at the end of the series right and then the other one is jerry reinsdorf saying that this is how this is how the sixth you know the second three-peat season ended and this is why the team didn't come back together and it's news to michael jordan yeah and so you get to see in real time like what his reaction is and that sort of nonverbal reaction is probably as telling as anything he can then say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think that the way that the documentary edits together the games uh, is just really, really well done. Like, because they've interviewed all these people and then they have like people describing on a play-by-play level, like, and then at the end of the fourth quarter, 33 seconds left, da, 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 and then it will like cut to yeah. them Except actually Reggie doing it. Miller is saying it and Reggie Miller is getting dunked on during the play. Yeah, and it's just like, it, it, it makes these these moments, individual moments in, in these basketball games take on such a big significance, right? Because like you're watching the game and yes, there's some like buzzer beaters that you're going to always remember. But then like the thing that happened like 70 seconds before, sometimes you might forget because it just went, went by so quickly. But they, but don't, they don't, they don't, for- remember. they don't, they don't forget they, it. They don't forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't sorry. forget it. And uh, that's what's great is like, it, they're like narrating these games and they, they're cutting it together, not just with game footage, but with like the behind the scenes, like film footage that was shot separately from the game footage that like looks a lot better than the game footage you know because they're not they're using like what appears to be film cameras to shoot it um and it's it's just really a joy to like see it put together in that way it reminds me um lebron i'd say maybe a year or two ago was asked about during a regular season game i think um maybe it was a playoff game anyway lebron recently was asked about a sequence of things that happened and then he recites from memory yeah 
like 12 things in a row that happened on the court. And you realize this person's basketball IQ, you always knew it was amazing. But to have that recitation and it's just there, it's not even the most key set of sequence, you know, uh, moves that happen. Um, But for these people, these are the moments they work 20 years for. And then when it's there, they don't forget it even 20 years later. Yeah, they're thinking about basketball all the time, often, often in their dreams, you know, like remembering things putting together plays and then like and not not just the players too like journalists talking about it writers talking about it um so it really puts it together in a really compelling package so those are like the things i really uh enjoyed about the last dance like overall had a great time watching it and interviews with, with mj i really enjoyed um the game footage put together so slickly really enjoyed um and uh, one other thing that like really comes comes to mind as I think about the documentary is how it does a great job of illustrating what a mixed bag it was uh, to be extremely world famous like Michael Jordan, right? Because you there think- are all these point of view shots, right, that are basically over his shoulder or yeah. right behind him, and you watch him have to walk through a hotel lobby, and you're like. That looks like hell. Because he is worth several billion dollars at this point, or over a billion dollars. And uh, you think like, oh, he's amazing at what he does. Uh, he was paid extremely well. He's world famous. Like, there's got to be zero downside. I mean, if you're if you're naive like me, occasionally you might think that. Um, but then you look at like what a day in his life is like in this documentary, and it's like, wow, that actually looks extremely, extremely difficult to um, not only like perform at the, at the physical level, but just like perform at the mental persona level of like, here's who I am, public figure, Michael Jordan, who like everyone wants a piece of. You can't uh, even like get room service and answer your own door. You know, yeah. like absolutely nothing is not scrutinized and remembered by everybody around you. And so it, there's one moment where he's in a hotel room and it's just the film crew. And he says, you know, this is normally my downtime, except you're here. <laughs> Um, but you really, and he's, he's a little annoyed. Um, but you really get the sense of, wow, this is a person who has like an hour to himself at max alone every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I found all that stuff to be, to be quite insightful. Anything else that you really loved about the documentary? And then we can get into some of the things that I think, uh, were a little bit more questionable, shall we say? Well, you came at it as a person wanting to be entertained slash watch a documentary. Yes. I come at it as a fan. So I wanted I wanted to bring a little, little show and tell. Oh wow! This is my rally towel. <laughs> okay. That uh, this this towel has seen better days. It, it doesn't smell very good. Uh, this is from. So you, you you've unfolded a rally towel and yes. on it it says "Go Bulls, Chicago Sun Times." This and was it- a sponsored towel that you got if you went to a certain game, and that game was the ninety five ninety six playoffs. Uh, game one versus the Orlando Magic Eastern Conference Finals. Uh-huh. So in this, the two three-peats, yeah. it was the fourth total title year. It was the first of the two repeats. Uh-huh. Three-peats, sorry. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so you got your little towel, and then you did this. And then if like 30,000 people did this, it was very exciting. Yeah. And uh, you did it with more vigor than I just did You're shaking it. it over your head, just yes. for those who are listening to this. Um, yep. And, uh, you know... I had this, and then I had another piece of Bulls memorabilia for many, many, many years. Uh-huh. It was um, a red helmet with white horns. Yeah. You got it um, <laughs> by eating at Subway uh-huh. locally yes. to Chicago. And there was a guy that would come on television with an ad, you know, just for the Bulls, and he would yell, Where the horn? 
horns. And so my roommates and I would run around uh-huh. wearing the horns and yelling, wear the horns. So for you, it was like just reliving this time period in your life. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Just like pure just nostalgia. Yeah. Because they were so freaking good yeah. that like, even though there was suspense, you also were pretty confident they would win. <laughs> so it was just the right amount yeah. of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and that level of dominance, you know, it really does make you cocky as a fan. Yeah, yeah. And I love how, like, uh, the documentary does a good job of, like, going through, like, each person's strengths. Like, you understand, like, what each person is good at. Like, Scottie Pippen's a great supporter. And, like, Dennis Rodman's amazing at, like, rebounding. And Michael Jordan is just literally good at everything, you know? like. But, you know... I'm showing you this towel and yeah. I'm telling you about the horns because then when I see Steve Kerr um, show up, like I want nothing more than 10 hours of discussion with Steve Kerr, not about his coaching career, yeah. but about how he like would point his toes when he shot the three, which they didn't talk about. Or Tony Kukoc, who I adored. Um, you know, it's kind of like seeing your old friends or like the band back together again. Yeah. Uh, because these people after the, you didn't get the sense that they were all close yeah. after the team split well, up. Well, that's a, that's the a thing about the documentary is like usually when something like this is made, they'll like get the whole crew together again and like go to the stadium or, you know, the, the arena and like sit in the, you know, the rafters and like reflect on things and like they'll film all that. And not only did that not happen, but you get the feeling that that would have been impossible to do because people wouldn't have wanted to do it, you know, because it, it feels like there's still many raw feelings about, how this all went down is yeah is i mean michael right. jordan is not all that pleasant to be around it, you know during this period it actually reminded me a lot of whiplash right the uh the damien chazelle movie starring jk simmons as like an extremely abusive teacher and mm-hmm. jk simmons philosophy in that movie is um i need to like i i need to abuse these people in order to drive them to be great right like uh, the way I justify myself is because like it is so worth it to bring greatness out of people that I must abuse people. And I f- feel like that is extremely similar to Michael Jordan's philosophy. That being said, we've seen in both music and in basketball that like there are many people who succeed and win championships and are really, really good without abuse. Right. So the it, it's clear that Michael Jordan's position is that like the abuse is necessary, but like, and, and certainly I think the documentary leaves you with that impression. Like maybe if Michael Jordan had, hadn't been as abusive, uh, like making fun of people, like I mean, they you're, might not have you're won, using right? the word abusive. Yeah. And I think that the documentary would not use that word. Correct. You know, like, but I, I think it's probably a fair label. Yeah. But I think he would say, you know, was I tough on people? Sure, I was tough on people. You know, so it's a fine line, maybe. I don't know. But I think this segues well into like the moment that where he gets emotional. Yeah. So at, at the end of episode seven, uh, they're talking about how he ridicules people, makes fun of people, like berates them. And then he basically says like he wouldn't do, he wouldn't ask anyone to do something he himself would not do. And he gets emotional and kind of like, cuts off the interview which you haven't seen at all during the rest of the time um so what did you make of that moment you know we actually watched it twice because the syntax is a little hard to follow in that moment but what i my interpretation of what he was saying is that and and i'd love to hear if other people have a different one um is i wanted it for me but i also wanted my teammates to win for them 
And I was giving them the gift of the opportunity to win by showing up in the way that I did. And I wanted them to show up so that they could have it for themselves. And that's a form of love to him. Mm-hmm. That that is like his love language, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, it's not gifts or quality time. Yeah. It's uh, pushing it's the, it's you. It's the sixth love language. Uh, yes, is uh, hyper competitiveness. Um, <laughs> and and that if that's how he shows love and then people cannot show it back to him, then it's actually like a betrayal of his mm. investment in them. And that's, I think, why he got emotional. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, that's not necessarily how I interpreted it. You know, I, I thought it was more like, uh, he, I interpret it more like he's grappling with how and why he's alienated these people, you mm-hmm. know, and like, and, and coming to terms with the fact that he has done these things in order to get to where he, he has gotten, you know, um, so that, that was my interpretation. But, you know, like people can interpret it different yeah. ways. You, you only see, it's only like a 10 second clip or something like that. So you don't see the full context in the interview. Um, but it is a really um, interesting moment. Um, do you, you know, and this is a, something you and I actually disagree on is how favorably the documentary portrays Michael Jordan. Because from my perception, overall, it's like a, a fairly favorable portrayal of him um i think that he comes off as like a very harsh teammate and like a harsh teacher but like i've read a bunch of michael jordan's stories that are are much like cast him in a much less favorable light like he was a at times could be like a raging asshole that i felt like didn't really come across too much in the documentary um but what did you think like did you come across with a more less same amount of favorability to michael jordan after watching the last dance um, I also have heard some things that were harsher even than what was gone into. In, yeah. And I don't think they really shy away from it in the documentary. Um, I mean, they, they devote probably 30 minutes to different ways in which he's um, been cruel to people at practice right. or um, very cruel to Jerry Krause in a very personal way that yeah. is, is kind of ugly. Um, but Jerry Krause, though, the villain of the documentary, but yes. <laughs> Yeah, but he didn't need to, like, they show him walking by him and, like, refusing to take a trophy from him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that. there's a lot of little little slights that make Michael look, you know. Petty. Yes. Yeah. Um, I am very interested in sports greatness or general greatness um, when the story is... I think you basically have to be borderline unhinged to push yourself so hard that you become this great at anything. Mm -hmm. You have to have a lot of talent and you have to push yourself in a way that most people who are, you know, like have this gentle, forgiving Zen yoga voice of like, it's okay, just do what your body can do today. Like it's just not going to get you there. Um, And so I'm always curious about what drives those people. And my assumption is that it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's pretty obvious that it's not healthy with him. And I, I I don't know. I, I don't feel like he comes across as a horrible human being, but I don't think he comes across as like a, you know, super well-balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Like a guy whose uh, life was therefore all great. Yeah. You know, at the end he's alone in his mansion surrounded by regret. Like that's the tone that it ends on. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, my uh, understanding of where Michael Jordan is post 
the the basketball years is that he has struggled to kind of find meaning separate from basketball. Like he's publicly spoken about like struggling to find meaning, you know, separate from basketball. You can imagine like dedicating the first like three decades of your life to something and then like you're no longer doing I it. I think most pro athletes do go through that. Right. I mean, he had like a career as a um like basketball executive, but yeah. I, I think it's obviously not the same. Yeah, and uh, this his production company was a co-producer on the documentary. So, oh, interesting. Uh, so he, he, you know, he obviously has like lots of enterprises. Um, but uh, I, I, I kind of wish we had gotten more insight into that. Like, like there's it, a lot the documentary doesn't go exactly. Into. We we get a lot of stuff about how he felt at a specific moment in time like oh when you made that dunk at that game like what were you thinking etc and he'll talk about it and he'll be like really personable and and entertaining about it but the documentary didn't really get it, like how he ascribes meaning to a lot of these things that have happened to him you know like how does he interpret what happened and like how, how, what is its place in his life now like how how does he factor it into his current existence Th this documentary is not about michael jordan's life things that are skipped his marriage. <laughs> I don't think it's even mentioned to like episode six that it, he even has a wife. Like, so this whole yeah. time we're following him around. We don't see Juanita, I believe is her name at all. Um, his three children show up in, in a bizarre, super bizarre, like very brief set of interviews about how they felt about the Utah jazz. I it, mean, it's a very disorienting appearance when they appear because he hadn't even mentioned having kids at any point in the documentary until that moment. Yeah, right? and you don't see them interacting with him. There's no B-roll of them, you know, yeah. eating pizza together or whatever. It's, it is really bizarre. Like, because basically the whole documentary, you're like, oh, okay, I think I, I'm starting to recognize yeah. these people. I know what a Ahmad Rashad looks like now and so on. And then at the end... I think it's episode it's 10 episode that they 10, show you, you get like these... The, his kids are there and then... It, they, they basically do one soundbite each... And then you never hear from them again. Yeah. And it's just it's like, like those children never existed. Really bizarre. Yeah. Um, and would have loved. I mean, his kids, a couple of his kids do show up in some B-roll, maybe in one other episode uh, of kind of back backstage at the United Center. But I think it's it's really I would love to know what kind of father he was. Of course, maybe he's not going to get into it because he's the kind of father that was on the road a lot, you know, but um, he actually has since gotten divorced and then remarried. That's not gone into at yeah. all. He is, <laughs> it's strange. He's shot in this, you know, palace looking thing that looks like it's in Miami or California. And it also looks like almost all the furniture has been removed. And so <laughs> it just <laughs> feels like Citizen Kane, you know, just vast swaths of empty space. Yeah. Um, and it really does portray to the little extent it implies something about his current life. It implies that he's alone. Right. Yeah. And you know, you say that it's not about Michael Jordan's life, but like it does kind of go through the motions of a documentary that might be about his life. You know, it goes into his like his past, his dad, his relationship with his mom and dad, like his college years. You know, it does that for many of many of the people, the main characters. But it's like it's primarily about Jordan. He's the one that has the most screen time, as far as I can tell. And so, like, I, oh, sure. I did expect what I'm just little, saying yeah. is his personal life. Right. It, it feels very clearly like you said it was out of bounds. You know, yeah. that they gave 17 minutes with each of the children and they said, here are the list of questions you are allowed to ask. You can talk about... What was he like as a father? Strike through. <laughs> you can talk about his game with the Utah Jazz and that's it, basically. And I mean, um, two of his kids were basketball, college basketball players. I would love to hear what that's like. Yeah. I'd love to hear how hard he was on them. 
Yeah. So uh, I think they're clearly working under some constraints. They did the best job they could. Um, are there any other like memorable moments from the documentary that you really feel like, wow, that was amazing? Uh, I'll, I'll bring up a couple more like learning about his schedule when he was shooting Space Jam. I thought was pretty. Oh, amazing. unbelievable! I did not know when he was any like training that. while shooting Space Jam and just like the schedule that that entailed just seemed really really intense. Um, so they basically, he was like, I'm, I'm going to win a championship <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. And I guess I'm committed to space jam. Yeah. So, <laughs> Hey, Warner brothers, you're going to have to make this work. So they built a tent with a basketball like a mini, court, a mini basketball court for him to train on. Yeah. And then he would do his entire shooting schedule. And then at night he would go and play and he would invite, um, other, you know, younger NBA stars like Juwan Howard and Reggie Miller. And he used it like the glamour of it to get them out to L.A. But what he was really doing was scouting them. Right. Which just feels like, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they were scouting him, too. But, uh, it, yeah, the stamina that that takes. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was like a, a fun little tidbit. Any other like as you're thinking back on the documentary, are there any really memorable moments that like really stick with you? I think I didn't know that he held grudges against opponents as a way to motivate himself. And sometimes those grudges were made up. Yeah, that was really fascinating. You know, like there's he had made up an entire uh, grudge against something like he's like that person said this thing to me this one time and like now I'm going to use it to motivate me to beat that person and the person you find out later never said it well and also it's almost always punching down in one case it was Tony Kukoc and the Croatian national team at the Olympics yeah. the year of the dream team and then the other time uh, which I, I think there is more of a narrative around because you know the Bulls wanted Tony Kukoc um, and he wanted to show he was the dominant star um, well you say it's always punching down I mean he's he's like one one of the if not the best player ever so by definition he's always punching down right, right? but <laughs> michael jordan should not have to prove <laughs> that he's better than tony kukoc by gearing himself up to show the world how much better he is than tony kukoc mm -hmm. which by the way he did even as a teammate i mean it was like <laughs> embarrassing sometimes to watch um and then um you know the other one was like some guy who like literally never i've never heard of before <laughs> who i think played for the wizards or yeah. maybe it was the bullets at the time yeah, yeah. but i mean I, I was like embarrassed for that kid because he happened to have one great night <laughs> kind of near jordan you know not even like really up yeah. against jordan yeah and uh it, it, yeah i mean it's that like was enough to create vengeance yeah um it's like he and he he talks like um at times almost gleefully about like completely humiliating these people but also the way he does it he does it so he's well so charming he's so charming and, he, and not only the way he describes it but the way he actually executes it you see the footage and it's just like wow like that is just an amazing performance you know yeah um so you cannot help but respect it is what i'm saying it's i think he's actually quite terrifying um <laughs> But because he is so charming, you know, I yeah. don't know if he's like a sociopath. I don't think he is, you know, but like there's some of that little edge under, you know, like mm -hmm. he doesn't want to win. He wants to dominate you. He wants to take all your marbles and then the marbles from your back pocket and then like <laughs> never see you again. Like that's 
that's how much he needs to win. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I don't know if you ever if you answered my question from earlier about like, do you feel like the documentary has a position on whether you need to be this much of an asshole in order to be the best? Because in my opinion, that is kind of the implied message. Perhaps? I feel like you know I was looking for that message. I, I I think you could take it from this, but that is pretty much the message of most sports documentaries. Mm. I I think. Which is that like greatness comes at a cost, and sometimes that cost is to your personality or to the the damage you must inflict on others to succeed. Um, I would put it the other way: like greatness comes at a cost makes it sound like in order to be great, you must pay this cost. Um, I think it's actually only people who are paying this cost day in day out ever even get into the pool to be plucked for potential greatness. Mm. Fair enough. You know, it's not like they could have made a choice to be slightly less great at slightly less cost. Yeah. That doesn't feel like a, a a real decision point that was ever on offer for many of these people because they have to show up so hard every day for so many decades. Uh, one last thing about the documentary. I think you and I both thought the very final moments of the last episode was were a little bit weird. Um, just the way it was cut together. And it was hyper stylized. It used like reenactments, which the documentary had basically never done until that point. Um, so it just felt like kind of a hodgepodge of different things going on in that last. Yeah, there was like some janky music that felt <laughs> like it was like, uh, you know, could have been used for the credits of The Wire, but weren't. Yeah. Um, it was it was really, really rough. It was a weird way to end because everything until that point had been so like. Uh, with some exceptions that we've already discussed, like have been so slick, but then just right at the, like literally the last 10, 15 minutes, it's just kind of like really jarring um, to, to land at that point. Uh, so kind of, kind of an odd way to, to end. Yeah. Show. I would say they didn't quite land it smoothly. They didn't quite stick the landing. Um, there is one other debate that the documentary has spawned, which is the fact that uh, I, I, it's not clear to me whether Michael Jordan had editorial control. I don't believe he had like final cut or anything like that, but I believe he had control over like what of his went into the documentary is my understanding, right? Um, like he got to, to decide like what material from him both on the court and in interviews went into the doc. I'm also guessing you don't get access to the kids or the uh, family members. Yeah. You know, his siblings show up and his mother. Um, Without like clearly drawn lines. Yes. This is all speculation, but yeah. your, your thoughts on that? Um, I think therefore it has to feel somewhat centered on him and that part of the reveal of this documentary, I mean, the draw, the people, the reason people are watching it is because of the access you get to this version of the story. I don't have an issue with it. I want to know his version of the story. Mm -hmm. I don't think that means it's the only version, but it is not skeptical about the gambling for instance it's not you know some of the things that were more controversial in his life it's really told from his point of view now i don't think it needs to be because you can put together your own alternative narrative about the gambling pretty easily yeah. you know um it, it felt pretty reasonable like the way that events were conveyed in the documentary felt pretty reasonable you know there was there was very uh, other than the huge gaps we've discussed about like his family and like uh, other things like that, there were very few things where they presented it from his point of view and it felt, oh, well, I'm extremely skeptical of that, you know? Or if if you are extremely skeptical, the documentary will often present an opposing view to like, at least so you know what the different viewpoints are. So I did find it like pretty even-handed in that way. So anyway, overall, The Last Dance 
hugely enjoyable experience. Uh, I really appreciated watching it, uh, reacting to it, and walking down memory lane a little bit, and seeing all that Michael Jordan highlight footage. Uh, it was a blast. Where are the horns, Dave? <laughs> Where are the horns? All right, I'm David Chen. This is at Joy of Napping. Uh, you can find her on Twitter. Thanks for listening, uh, and we'll see you in the next one.